I'm Carol. And this is the Real Talk Recreation Therapy Podcast. On this podcast, we talk about real experiences and real research that back up the use of recreation therapy as a method of treatment for a variety of populations. We try to keep it real as we address concerns and successes that we and other recreation therapists have had as we all navigate this awesome career field. We don't have it all figured out, but one thing we know for sure is everything gets a lot easier when you can talk it out with a friend. All right. Hello, everybody. Today we have a special episode where we are going to be interviewing Carolyn Meyer, who is a music therapist. So I actually went to school with Carolyn for a little bit. She was going to school to be a recreational therapist, and then she decided that I guess that wasn't for her. She'll probably tell us a little bit about that in a bit. But then she went to school and became a music therapist. So Jana and I were really excited to be able to interview a music therapist because I know in my experience as a recreational therapist, I worked at a nursing home and we would use music. And a lot of times people would be like, oh, you're doing music therapy. And I would be like, well, no, I'm a recreational therapist. So we are using music therapeutically, but there is a difference. So we're super excited to have her here to learn about what the difference is between recreation therapy. And well, we're going to learn about music therapy and that'll help us understand the difference. So, Carolyn Meyer is a board-certified music therapist that is passionate about the many impacts music has on the brain and body. She has been a practicing therapist for three years and has worked in settings including hospice, community practice, and pediatrics. So, welcome, Carolyn. Thank Thank you. So glad to be here. (laughs) We're so excited to have you. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I'm excited to it's it's wonderful to be on this podcast and like Carol said I we kind of met each other through our work at, or our kind of our studies doing rec therapy so it's it's cool to see the worlds collide here. Oh yeah. So just to start it off, can you just explain to us what music therapy is for anyone who has never heard of it, doesn't know about it? How would you like explain what you do? Yeah. So I'm sure we all have our elevator elevator pitches or elevator speeches. I usually say when people ask, what is music therapy? I, I oftentimes just say music therapy is using music in a purposeful way that achieves non-musical goals. And some of the main components of that definition include that it is um, facilitated by a credentialed professional and we're look at, looking at clinical goals and... Yeah, we're kind of looking at all of those different domains of health and well-being and using music to kind of achieve those those goals and those kind of intentions. That is really exciting. And I'm super excited to hear more about what music can do, because I think, you know, music pervades our lives in a lot of ways. And so hearing you say non-musical goals, that's really interesting. I'm really excited to hear more about that. Yeah. So Let's hear the whole story starting, like, how did you find out about it, learn about music therapy? You're obviously kind of interested in therapy when you started going to school, doing that with Carol, but what made you switch and how did you become interested? Tell us your story. Yeah. So growing up, I loved music. I took piano lessons. I took cello lessons 
in grade school and always just just loved playing music, listening to music. It was such a big part of my life. Even in like middle school, I learned to play guitar on, from YouTube and, and learned how to sing along to the songs. And it was just such a great outlet for expression for me in my own life. So growing up, I just was really, it was just something that was just really ingrained into to my everyday life. And then when it kind of came time to start college, I knew that I kind of wanted to be in some sort of helping profession. And I also wanted to study music. And I had kind of heard about music therapy, didn't know much about it, but it's kind of always in the back of my mind. And then I, so I started school with um, a music minor. So still taking some music classes and then um, also studying therapeutic recreation. So I did kind of three years of that. Always kind of still had music therapy in the back of my mind. At the In the town that my college was in, there was actually a music therapy private practice. So a, a private company that served a lot of younger populations in the community. And they actually would do a yearly kind of showcase or concert type of type of thing. So working on kind of goals of with their clients of being able to perform at this showcase if that was appropriate and if they were interested in that as kind of a, a goal-based intervention. Um, and so I would volunteer at that. So I would hand out programs and watch the, the clients perform. And it was a really cool experience and got gave me some really good exposure and still kind of went on doing doing my thing, not really thinking, making the switch or anything. And then, yeah, kind of a life event happened and I had to take some time away from school. And that was kind of the time where I really, really thought that I should make the leap. So I ended up transferring and yeah, starting, starting a, in a music therapy specific program in the Twin Cities. I, I really love hearing about people's paths from when they got started to when they're actually like practicing, whether you're like a rec therapist or music therapist or whatever. I'd also think it's really neat that you have that background in music already. So like you had that basis for it. Are there a lot of music therapists that don't start out with that music basis? I would say no. I mean, most music therapists, I mean, especially with kind of the rigor of all of the music based things you're doing in your in your schooling, yeah. it's it's really helps to have foundation in musical skills. Mm-hmm. Um, the degree program, you do have to take classes and be proficient coming out of it in piano, voice, and guitar. Those are kind of the three instruments you do have to be proficient in on top of your own instrument of study. So like, for example, I studied cello, took cello lessons, orchestra, all the things. And then I also had to test and be proficient in those other things too. So it's really rigorous in your musical skills. Mm -hmm. So I would say dream big. I, you know, I n- never say never, but I would say that most music therapists have kind of that interest in those musical gifts and skills. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense. If you're yes. going to be a music therapist, you'd have to be able to be skilled at music. Yes. So that kind of segues into our next question. What kind of education and certifications do you need to practice as a music therapist? Is it a licensing thing? Like what are the requirements? Yeah. So you can practice as a music therapist. Lowest level of education would be a bachelor's degree. So I have a bachelor's of science in music therapy and you take coursework, all sorts of different things, psychology, music, music theory, music history, music therapy, all sorts of different things, anatomy. So it's really diverse. And then once you're done with that, you sit for a board exam. And so then you kind of gain those MT-BC credentials, which stands for 
music therapist board certified. So you can practice at a bachelor's level and get your MTBC credits, but a lot of people have their master's in music therapy or even their like a doctorate, not as common, but it's, it's an option. That's really cool. I didn't even know that you could at a bachelor's level. I had always thought that it was a master's. So that's, that's, that's a really yeah, I didn't know that great either. thing to know because I'm sure there's a lot of people that kind of close the door on that if they want to just be done at a bachelor's level. So, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I work in pediatrics and I work at a children's hospital and I just have my bachelor's. So I think, yeah, like you said, a lot of people are surprised about that. That's really, that's really interesting. Did you, so I know you did this volunteering with these young kids. Was that like a pediatric community setting when you were like volunteering in school before? Is that Yeah. Of- so, so one really common um, kind of setting or kind of type of music therapy is community-based practice. So that would be just people that open up their own music therapy business and they seek out clients in the community or clients come to them and say, hey, can you come to my house and do music therapy, whether it be private pay or I have a waiver that I'm going to pay for, whether it be, you know, a child or maybe a lot of memory care facilities will contract with a private music therapy company that just was created by a music therapist. And so they, it's kind of a, it's a lot of driving and you're traveling around in the community and seeing like a variety of different clients that, you know, are interested in having um, kind of contracted services. Sure. Yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. Carol, you did something like that with recreation therapy, didn't you? Yeah, I did. In Texas, I did contract recreational therapy, which sounds very similar to what you're describing. I was just doing like driving to people's homes and doing rec therapy with people rather than music therapy. But yeah, I'm very familiar with the contract work and driving around. Yes, lots of driving. So Carolyn, does that, I'm I'm still on this bachelor's thing. So does that, is that the same in every state or is that like specific to your state that you can do that? You can practice at a bachelor's level? Yep, that is pretty common across um, across the U.S. I would say that sometimes certain roles and jobs do kind of one of their job requirements is that you have to have a master's um, level to, you know, be a good candidate for that job. That's mm-hmm. not always, but I would say there's a, you know, here and there, there's jobs that do kind of require and our, our profession is working towards more of a master's level entry, but at this at this time. Yeah, it's pretty common across the board that you just have to have your bachelor's to get your credits. That's wonderful. I love that. (laughs) Yes, it is nice. So, okay. So you worked with the community setting. You also said you worked with hospice and are you working, you're working pediatrics now, right? Yes. That's kind of the thing about music therapy. It's like so broad. There's so many different spaces and places and populations you can work with. It's really hard to kind of sum it up, but yeah, I've worked in geriatric hospice. I've worked in um, kind of like that community-based type of practice. And currently I'm working in pediatrics. Do you have a favorite so far? (laughs) I I think kids are my, kids are my, my true passion, but especially (laughs) pediatrics. But I will say I, I went into hospice because it was kind of the first job I could get coming out of college and, and I was, I, I was open to it, but definitely wasn't super gung ho about the idea, but I ended up falling in love with it too, just because you just get to know families and patients so closely working with them one-to-one and being with them at such a 
kind of a sensitive time and being able to to support them is just really meaningful. So um, it's, yeah, it's music therapy is so awesome and it can be touched so many different areas. That's awesome. Yeah. I just love talking to someone who's like so passionate about the career field that they're in. So we're going to pivot and kind of talk more about the logistics of music therapy, like what you actually do as a music therapist. Mm -hmm. So to start it off before you start doing music therapy with anyone how do you find out what your clients' needs are or decide what to focus on during your music therapy sessions? Like, do you use some sort of formal assessment? What is your process for that? Walk us through it. Yeah. So kind of in my current setting in pediatrics, I'll oftentimes do a little care coordination before just kind of connect with others in the multidisciplinary team. Oftentimes we get a direct referral and there's a reason for that referral Maybe this patient is really struggling with a certain type of procedure, or maybe they're having anxiety or things like that. So we'll oftentimes get a referral and then do a little bit of care coordination. My assessments usually can range anywhere from a formal assessment to a a more observation, kind of an informal assessment. So like, for example, a more formal example of a formal assessment, I work in a outpatient clinic for NICU graduates. So they're followed in their first two years of their life after they leave the NICU. And so the clinic kind of identified that we're not really assessing their social emotional development when they come through the clinic. And so I was like, I can help with that. So I, I have a music therapy specific social emotional assessment that I go through with families that are interested. And so it's kind of a scoring type of thing. And we assess them for their different skills and we use music to do that. So that's kind of an example of more formal assessment, but oftentimes I'm just kind of going in, talking with the families, talking with the patients, kind of getting to know them and assessing how they're interacting with me, how they're interacting in the music. So kind of a lot of verbal and nonverbal observations and kind of making a plan from there. Yeah. It's fascinating to think about like the way you're doing that with music. So when you're doing this formal assessment with these little babies, are you playing music and seeing how they respond social emotionally or? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so a little bit of both. Some, a lot of times we're, you know, I'm offering instruments or we're kind of using specific types of songs or music to see how they're interacting. So, you know, oftentimes if I'm seeing that they're really, they're really guarded or they're, you know, slow to warm or those kinds of things, I'm noticing that, you know, I'm noticing how they're interacting with their parents throughout the whole thing. And, you know, where I'm trying to, and I think kind of the inviting piece of it is that a lot of kids are really engaged and really um, respond really nicely to music. So it's kind of a, kind of a very non-invasive inviting type of way to assess this kind of thing. So totally makes sense especially that age is like there's a lot of stranger danger kind of thing yes so a lot of COVID babies so we do keep that into put that into the the (laughs) thoughts too yeah lots of that would kind of be different if they're not used to being in as many social settings as children that were born earlier yes so what's the age range of the kids that you work with then like babies through yep yeah so anywhere kids in the NICU to 18 year olds Okay. So like mm-hmm. the whole range of yes. all of childhood. Yes. So I'm sure like your assessments differ too, based on the age of the child, totally. what kind of level they're at, like working totally. with a baby versus working with a 15 year old, a totally different assessment. 
Yes. I know. It's like, even in pediatric, there's still such a huge range, like mm-hmm. kind of just goes to show like across the lifespan, there's just lots of different ways to assess. Yeah. So after you assess with your clients, do you set goals for them in the music therapy session? And like, what kind of goals are you setting with your clients? Yeah. So again, kind of goes along with what is, what am I getting this referral for? Kind of what are, what's the primary needs here? And, you know, I always try to be as transparent as possible, you know, we're, this I'm here to like kind of help you feel better. I'm here to support you. Like what, what would you, what do you want to get out of this service? What kinds of things would you like to work on or feel better about that kind of thing, especially with some of my like adolescents and things like that. Otherwise, you know, I just usually try to use my assessments to say, okay, I'm really noticing this need or this kind of this area that we might need to support or that kind of thing. And then kind of set those goals. So within that is we have to use documentation in pediatrics. We have to pretty much document everything we do. Mm -hmm. So I try to really kind of create some clear goals that I can put into that documentation. So others know as well, kind of what I'm doing and the things that I'm working on. Yeah. And kind of just use that as a tool as well to communicate and figure out and kind of track those goals as well. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. When you are setting, so with like, you talk about how you're writing goals so that other people know what you're doing. What other professionals are you working with in that setting? Yes, I will say, who knows if anyone reads my notes? I hope they do. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of my colleagues, for example, in child life, my child life specialists, they, mm-hmm. we work really closely with, with, the, with them and do a lot of care coordination with them. We work a lot with like rehab. So that's physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech. We work closely mm-hmm. with, and then anywhere from dietitians, respiratory therapy providers, all sorts of different individuals. So again, who knows if they read my notes, I try to do as much kind of collaboration with the team as possible and yeah. see, ask where I can fit in and, you know, oh, can I, would I be able to see if we could work on this goal within a music therapy session or that kind of thing, mm-hmm. if they're feeling stuck with a patient's certain thing. So that's fascinating the way that you can work together with all of these different groups. I can see what an asset you would be at a hospital like this, where the kids are feeling nervous and music is such a beautiful way to to open people up, to help them feel comfortable, to help them be themselves, to help them express themselves. So I can I can totally see how your colleagues would definitely find this such an asset to be able to say, yes, please help them. Yeah, absolutely. It's wonderful. Yeah, yes, it is totally. I love working with and collaborating with a lot of different types of, of people. And it's just been really great in that aspect too, just kind of helping people really understand what I'm doing, you know, from the outside, it looks like we're just having fun. Right. And a lot of people just leave it at that. A lot of providers are, Oh, well, you're having a music performance. Have fun. Those kinds of comments, yeah. brush them off, keep moving on. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's those, all those people who really want to incorporate you into the team and show that your, your role has value too. So I really appreciate a lot of the people I work with and that kind of see the benefits. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So when you're planning, so you have a client, I'm super interested in the anxiety thing. So you're, you have a client, they have expressed anxiety about a procedure and you've made goals to help them, you know, feel more comfortable or at ease. What kind of things are you 
considering when you're planning a music like I imagine the type of music the like do you talk to them about the type of music they like do you bring in all your instrument I yeah I guess what yeah. do you consider when you're planning a music therapy session yeah so definitely all those things the age obviously the type of music I would and the type of instruments I would bring to a session if we're doing instrument play would be age appropriate oftentimes if in an ideal world, this doesn't always happen, but kind of working with patients to talk about their coping plan. So if they're going to be getting a blood draw, what, what kinds of things are helpful for you during that moment? Do you want to be distracted? Do you want to talk through it? Do you want to see what's going on, but have some music in the background? Those types of things we try to talk about preemptively. For example, for those kinds of anxieties for maybe stressful procedures. And then yeah, I always try to use the patient's preferred music, whether that be a specific culture, specific genre, music that's familiar to someone is proven to be more effective in a therapeutic setting. So I always try to really, if I can, use the music that they are familiar with, that they know it's more comforting to them. So preferred music, oftentimes, the kind of the, the type of music I'm, I'm using maybe if we're really anxious, I might use more upbeat music or I might be using kind of music to match the mood and then slowly kind of bringing the pace down to kind of support that anxiety reduction, that kind of thing. So the type of music I'm using, kind of the feel or the vibe of the music to match kind of what's going on and then kind of instrumentation if that's where we're going, that's age appropriate and that makes sense to kind of, again, support them. And then, yeah, always just using that preferred music. This just feels so magical to me that you're <laughs> able to use music in such a, in such a poignant way to help them. And because these are things that we've learned in like that I've learned in therapy, you know, match them, bring the level down, like help them calm. Yeah. And it's so incredible that you choose one, like this specific modality music and say, let's dive deep. Cause I think a lot with rec therapy, we kind of go broad, right? We do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but it's beautiful that you know music so well and you can engage with the clients with that so well that you can really like dive deep and like follow them wherever they need to go in yes. this session. It's really beautiful. Yes, it is. <laughs> I know. I always, I mean, I think it's, it's, the thing about music therapy that is that it's such a really beautiful balance of like, there's so much evidence to show like the brain is working in so many ways when you experience music and it has such an impact on your physiology and your stress reduction and all those things. But then also there's kind of this intangible piece of it where it's like, it's hard to describe or pinpoint what's so helpful about music. Maybe it's the fact that it's like, you know, we've all experienced music and we all, I haven't met a lot of people who just, who don't like music don't at all, <laughs> that kind of thing. So it's a, a very accessible and like connective modality because we've all been exposed to it. We've all experienced it. So. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's just beautiful. Like the way that you can take this and, and use it for its therapeutic benefits, like really dive deep into how that's going to benefit people. Yes, absolutely. For sure. So can you describe, I guess, even more deeply, like a music therapy, like it's different from like a music making class, although you said that like they do do performances and stuff like that. Is that common that you're like preparing them to do a performance? 
I wouldn't say it's very common. That's kind of unique to a community program, but at the same time, it's, you know, again, never say never. There can be many therapeutic benefits of, you know, preparing to share the music. So like oftentimes we'll, like if we do, um, oftentimes I'll do therapeutic music lessons at the hospital. So it's a patient that is going to be at the hospital for a long time with a chronic illness. And so maybe we're every time we learn a little bit of guitar and then we're able to share a song with their family or things like that via FaceTime or something like that. So we're working towards kind of that goal. But again, there's so many things that happen behind the scenes that we're working on when we, we work on that. So again, like music therapy looks like fun. It's, you know, it's kind of masked in this really joyful, like you said, magical type of when you just see it. But I think that's kind of, there's there's just a lot happening behind the scenes that's more going into it and more intention and goal-based, evidence-based types of practices versus just a class or kind of a, just a lesson or an educational thing. And you seem so good the way you're presenting this to us. I'm sure that it's it comes through with your clients and your colleagues as well how how much you know that this is a therapeutic benefit because this is this is something carol and i talk about all the time too is you know trying to help people understand it's not just play what we're doing but the way you describe what you're doing and the way that you talk about it i feel like i'm definitely like yes this this i see like how how much you know, work you're obviously putting into this to make sure that you're understanding how to meet these these needs of these clients. It's very cool. Totally. I know. I'm sure we've all been there where we've gotten kind of the comments where, you know, but we, it's always <laughs> an opportunity for education, right? Yeah, definitely. Yes. It's like these types of therapy professions where our modality is something that people tend to see as more leisure-based, like music yes. or art or gardening yes. or recreational therapy, like all these things. We know that while we're doing those things, our clients are working on their social skills or like building right. self-confidence or all sorts of things. But yeah, it just comes off as like, oh, they're having fun. This is nice making some music, but that's okay. Absolutely. That's why it's super cool to like talk to you about it and actually hear like, no, they're not just making music. They're not just doing it for fun. There's a greater purpose to it. And yeah, like, this is sure. kind of what it is. So when you're working with your clients, how do you measure their progress towards goals in their session? I'm sure it's different based on like what your goal is, what, who the client is you're working with. What are some examples of how you would keep track of progress? Yeah. Again, documentation is a really nice tool to use to go back and say, okay, this is where we started when we met and this is how we're doing now. For example, a lot of these kids who come in for procedures, things like that, again, maybe vaccines, maybe blood draws, that kind of thing. And we're able to see them over the course of a a couple of different of those same procedures. And it's really nice to kind of track how they're doing. Oh, you know, this time they only, they stalled for only five minutes instead of 30. And we were able to, we were able to be distracted and, you know, those kinds of things where it's like, we're coming in for the same type of thing. Oftentimes chronic kids come in for a lot of the same things. So we can kind of track it in that sense. Otherwise, again, it's a little bit more subjective types of observation of, of how they're doing and just kind of, oftentimes I, I, I know that we're making progress by even just kind of the rapport that we've built. So by the, the second or third session, even, you know, the patient's more willing to do X, Y, Z, or they're seemingly able to utilize those skills that we've been working on. Maybe it's breathing for anxiety or things like that. They're able to really 
use those things and show me that they they're comfortable in what we're doing. And a lot of times, especially at the hospital, my goal with patients is to have the, have these skills be transferable to outside of the music therapy session. So, you know, we check in and say, Oh, how, you know, how did it go with your week? And you had a couple of things going on that were pretty stressful. Like what, how, how did it go? And kind of seeing the progress in that sense too, just kind of a verbal check-in too. So it's really cool. Do you guys ever, do you ever do like a formal reassessment? Like you did a formal assessment at the beginning, you do a formal assessment later. Does that ever, is that ever a thing or is that usually? Yeah, it kind of, in the hospital setting, it's a little bit tricky in the sense of like, I could see a patient once and then they, they've been discharged. Right. Because there's not really like a set time limit of knowing, you know, this is when they start and this is that kind of thing. For Mm -hmm. private practice work, oftentimes I would see clients for years. So we would have a six month kind of reassessment period. So we'd go through those goals that we made at the beginning of the year and we'd see where we are. And then we'd either add to them, change them, that kind of thing. I think a lot of music therapists do it that way too. If you're in more of a long-term type of setting where you're able to see clients for long periods of time, but it's a little bit trickier in um, the hospital setting just because the time, the time thing is kind of tricky, but yeah, that makes sense. It's all variable. What about with hospice? Did you do this kind of thing with hospice? Yep. Yeah. So a lot of times we, yeah. So for hospice, it was also very specific just because the documentation that you'd have to do goes to their insurance for hospice. So Mm -hmm. we would have to really be mindful of tracking their goals and kind of seeing, again, it's a lot of hospice goals are a little more comfort-based, so it's not like we're mm-hmm. working towards the specific thing, but maybe we're working on increasing, you know, orientation or we're working on reducing agitation and we can kind of see how they're able to do that over the course of time. Very interesting. Yeah. So with these notes that you take, are they usually in a narrative form? Is there a specific like music therapy note taking that you prefer? What do you, what's kind of your... Or does the hospital require a certain way? We have created kind of a flow sheet that where we have check boxes that we, it talks about where their caregivers present, what, you know, what was the support of the, the family in the session? What was the type? Was it a group? Was it an individual? What was the type of interventions? Were they psychosocial? Were they infant? Were they all sorts of different things? And then what instruments did you use? What was the outcome? What is their pain scale rating? Things like that. So it's a, a pretty, it's a lot of just check boxes, but then we also have room to write, write if we need to. So oftentimes yeah. I'll kind of maybe elaborate a little bit on the outcomes. So maybe the patient really had a brightened, brightened mood or they, their pain went down or their, their vital stabilized or heart rate went down, that kind of thing. I'll kind of maybe just add in a little bit of specifics just so we have some more concrete data, but for the most part, I, you know, and also too as we all know, documentation takes time. So to make it as efficient as possible is always appreciated. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. Probably nice. You're not writing like a narrative note for every mm-hmm. single person that you see, because that would just take up so much time. Yes. I feel like people that aren't therapists don't realize how much time a therapist spends documenting and yes. writing down everything that they did, but totally it takes a lot of time. So. A necessary evil though, because it's so helpful to be able to look back and say, okay, yeah, we definitely can like see the progress of the client and not just be like, oh yeah, like they listen to music. They had a good time. No, this is totally. real things that we're doing. 
Yes, I know. And even like to, I, we, I, like I said, we work really closely with child life specialists. So to be able to go back and have them have at least a little bit of like narrative information, just to kind of get a feel um, okay. for what I'm walking into is always helpful. Sometimes people yeah. do really quick chart notes, which is fine, but you know, I always try to do that for others as well, just to, to have an idea of what we're up to. Yeah, it's yeah. super helpful for a treatment team setting to be able to see. I knew I remember working in a treatment team setting where we shared notes. It was very helpful to look at the notes previously uh-huh. and be like, oh, okay, they were having yeah, yeah. a really bad day that like gives more context to what I'm going into or or this response was really, really went well. That that helps. Yes. I know it's always kind of funny too, because half the notes are just absolute like different language to me. Like it's like a provider, you know, writing all this medical. <laughs> I have no idea what it means. I'm like, this helps me 0%. I cannot understand this. I want to know like what's going on, but it, that's always kind of funny too. It's interesting to, to have that and, you know, as part of the process too. Yeah. Yeah. Having to learn that lingo or try and yeah. Yes. God bless social workers. God bless. Child yeah. God bless <laughs> therapists. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> So, so you said that it's very common, like working in a community setting, would you say that's the most common setting for a music therapist? That's a good question. I would say it it would be up there. I don't know if it's the most common, but just in the sense of anyone can start their own music therapy business mm-hmm. um, versus having the bureaucracy of having to get a FTE for music therapy in a facility just the barriers aren't there. You can, anyone can start their own company. Yeah. I would say it's, it's definitely a very common type of practice, but yeah. And then there's geriatrics and you worked in hospice. Are there other settings, populations that we haven't talked about where you've seen music therapists? Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, there's so many and I'm probably, we're probably not even going to touch on all of them because there's just so many, but um, like, for example, substance use types of groups, community, like nonprofits. So like I even did a a field placement with a nonprofit for individuals impacted by cancer or um, corrections, special education or education, Mm -hmm. early childhood education, mental health facilities, like just medical facilities in general for adults, palliative care. Yeah. Lots of really kind of the same thing as a rec therapist. And when you worked in the community, was it people, was it ever like someone coming to you and being like, I just want more music in my life? Or was it usually like, I have, you know, a disability or a need that I want music to help me with? What was, I guess? Yeah. You, I would say most of the time it was a lot of caregivers coming, reaching out and saying, you know, I want this service for my loved one. So (laughs) we would work in a lot of, at least the specific private practice that I was working for. We did a lot of group homes. We did a lot of memory care and elder care. We did individuals that were maybe having grief and loss and mental health kinds of things that they wanted just Mm -hmm. some support with. Yeah. So not usually there's a reason behind it why people would reach out or someone maybe has been familiar with music therapy and they are looking to learn more and want the support in their life. Yeah. But I mean, really, I mean, anyone can, can do music therapy. There doesn't have to be something inherently wrong or that kind of thing. Music is great for legacy building. It's great for just general processing of our human experience. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can totally see how that, how someone, how I would, as a if I were a caregiver, knowing about music therapy would want that even, like you said, even if there isn't something specifically wrong, there is obviously something specifically right about music. <laughs> so totally. it's like, this is yes. something that is adding, adding to your life, adding to flourishing that yes, yes. I think can probably help all of us. And I know we've kind of touched on this, but I guess, is there like, why, why is music such a powerful modality for helping people flourish in their health journey? What have you, from all of the experiences that you've had in the years that you've been working? I don't know. This is a big question. I feel like, like yeah, yeah. I mean, we're probably not going to like completely answer it, but yeah, your professional opinion. No, the golden question. Um, <laughs> I know. I mean, kind of what I was saying before too, just the fact that music does have a, an impact that people have studied on the brain and the body. And it's been used for generations, like since the beginning of time, basically, which is pretty yeah. incredible. And, and that music, you know, that we've all had, you know, impact, we've all been impacted by music and it's mm-hmm. so personal and it's so cultural and there's just, it's just a true, it's just a kind of a true way to tell people who we really are and the things that matter to us. So that's kind of, kind of one powerful way that I think about it too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I like think about the songs that just, I mean, from my standpoint, I can, I've worked in geriatrics, so I can think Mm -hmm. about the memories that music brings to people or like, even to myself, I'll be sitting there listening to the radio and be like, this song reminds me of if you're in high school, when this really specific thing happened and like, in the same way I've seen in memory care populations where it just like brings people back to those happy memories that the music held for them at one point in their life. Yes. It's it's super super amazing. And how, yeah, musical memories are a huge thing, Uh, you know, even with, with kids that, you know, you think about, we all know our ABCs. Why do we think we remember our ABCs or why do we know the, the states of yeah. the United States? Because we learned it in a song, those kinds of things. Exactly. Music is so sticky and it's just it makes a huge impact on us. And yeah, like you said, so many just amazing moments of individuals that can't remember the names of their family members, but can remember all the words to their favorite song. It's just, it's, yeah, it's really amazing. So what is your favorite musical music therapy modality to use with your clients? Like if you had to pick one that's like, this is the one that I love to do the most. Yeah, I would say improvisation. So it's a, it's a modality that we use a lot and it can be adapted to any age, any ability. And I really, it's just pretty, I've seen some pretty cool thing, things of ways we can express ourselves non-verbally. Mm -hmm. music improvisation so like for example I was doing a group in our um, adolescent mental health unit and we were Mm -hmm. improvising on certain emotion words so we had our I call it my wheel of feels and it's like all these different emotions that are very specific and we picked one and we improvised on it so and we talked about why did the music sound like anger or why did the music sound like depression those kinds of things it just really kind of just solidifies concepts and helps us really process hard things and experiences in a completely different way. There's my colleague would go into all the Freudian things. I don't quite go there, but she goes into all the Freudian <laughs> things of improvisation. And I mean, it, but it is, it really kind of taps into your, your subconscious layers of, okay, you know, oh, I, 
I just expressed that through the music and I didn't say a single word. So improvisation, I've had some really cool sessions doing that. Yeah. So when you say improvisation, are your clients like they're listening to music and then talking about how the music makes them feel or are they like actually playing up songs? Mm -hmm. They're playing music. Yeah. So for example, like in that session, all the different patients had different instruments. So someone maybe had like a steel drum and someone had maybe like a shaker and someone had another type of melody type of instruments or like a piano or something like that. And I played guitar and kind of held the space Mm -hmm. to be able to create music that went along with certain themes or emotions or moods or things like that. Mm -hmm. And then we were able to kind of verbally process after the fact, but, but even like, I'll do this with, with little kids, maybe we're, oh, let's make a rainstorm. Let's pick instruments and let's make a rainstorm. And, you know, we, oh, it's thundering now. And, oh, now it's, you know, here comes the rain or here comes, oh, now it's quiet. The rain's settling down, you know? So we're, we're able to kind of be creative and really expressive and just, it's just such a creative way to use music and yeah, really tap into our senses and help us process things in a new way. So then after that session, you would be asking them different processing questions to kind of draw out those yes. guess, emotions that they're working Yeah, through. definitely depends on the age and kind of, mm-hmm. kind of the goal. So a lot of times I do use it in sense of someone who can verbally process after the fact and do a little kind of more talk-based yeah. therapy in addition to the music. But yeah, with, I mean, with little kids too, we'll do improvisation and, you know, it's pretty crazy how insightful they, they can be. I have a, a book that I use, it's called the color monster and each color goes with an emotion. And then we play the emotion. Oh, what would anger sound like? And, you know, kids can play, you know, they play really loud and hard. And so, you know, it's, it's a cool way to use music to work on concepts and that kind of thing too. Mm -hmm. It's really cool to hear you talk about like the actual modality of music therapy, because I feel like having gone to school as a rec therapist, like I know what music therapy is, but I don't necessarily know what it actually looks like. So yeah. it's really interesting to just hear you actually talk about what the modalities are that you're doing with people. Yes. I try to always use examples when I'm explaining it because I think it's hard to, un- it's hard to grasp like, okay, yeah. well, we know what music therapy is, but what are you actually doing? Or mm-hmm. what are some types of things that you might see when you're seeing music therapy? So I yeah. always encourage people if they have access to just you know, observe and kind of see what's going on. If that ever is, has an opportunity, there's ever an opportunity to do so to just witness it. Yeah, definitely. I think I'd love to witness a music therapy session. So. <laughs> Sounds really cool. Yeah. It would be really cool to be a fly on the wall to see that yes. unfold for people. Totally. Um, especially for people who are not expressing otherwise. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. for sure. So, so in that, if if a recreation therapist wants to work with a music therapist, is there a place to go to find music there, like a forum or like a place where you can like verify that someone is board certified, a music therapist? Is there somewhere someone can go to find? How do we find you? <laughs> yeah. So I would suggest to people who are looking for a music therapist in their community to look for their regional body of music therapists. Oftentimes the national body, it's hard to find it, you know, specific people, but the, the regional is a little bit more accessible. So a lot of times there there's directories of like even private practices, or you can reach out to that 
specific kind of regional email and just kind of ask where I'm in this place. Could you give me information on music therapists in this location? That kind of thing. I wouldn't say it's like kind of public domain of having access to every music therapist, but that would be a really good place to, to get more information. So even just saying music therapists in the technically I'm in the mid or in the Midwest. So I'm in the greater lakes region. So there's different regions for different parts of the U S but Google's your friend for that. Do you guys have like a certifying body? So like recreational therapists have the NCTRC. What would that be for music therapists? Yep. So it's the CBMT, the certification board for music therapists is what it's called. I wouldn't say it's a, it's a little bit more just strictly for, getting your certification and, yeah. you know, researching if you need to, or researching every five years, but not as much information on like specific music therapy programs or people. Yeah. So I would, I would seek out those, those regional bodies, but yeah, we do have the CBMT is our certification. The national organization is called the AMTA, American Music Therapy Association. Both of those are good resources too. If you just want to learn more about music therapy and music therapy Mm -hmm. programs, educational programs, that kind of thing too. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds really helpful for people that are Mm -hmm. interested in becoming a music therapist or adding that, finding a music therapist to work with or to hire to work with. Hey everybody. I just wanted to take a quick break to remind you all that all of our research guides, as well as our show notes can be found on our website, www.realtalkrecreationtherapy.com. If you're looking for those resources, go check it out. Okay, now back to the podcast episode. So you had you got a bachelor's and you had to know it was piano, vocals, and guitar. Is that correct? That you had yep. to be proficient. What kind mm-hmm. of like what kind of test was there to make sure you were proficient? Like, is this like you take a couple years of piano and you're good, or is it like you can play pretty much anything in front of you? Like, what kind of what? I guess how intense are those requirements? So proficient, so not nothing too crazy, but for people that haven't played those instruments before, they they likely do have to take classes in college. You can also test out of it. So for example, I had piano lessons growing up, so I was able to just kind of take the test and kind of bypass those classes. So I would say just kind of knowing scales, knowing some pretty basic sight reading, knowing chords, things like that. So pretty, I would say beginner to intermediate proficiency of these instruments yeah and when you did the test were you performing sorry (laughs) sorry yeah no so it's usually just with a professor and you're just kind of they're just saying can you play this scale can you okay I'm gonna put a piece of music out here can you play this for me that kind of thing so more of a not a performance but more of just kind of a skills check of different areas okay cool Yes. Kind of like going along with that too. I'm curious about, so like you have the music side of your education. What is the focus of your, the therapist side of your education? Mm-hmm. Yep. So we have, um, there's a full set of music therapy coursework that you have to do. So that includes theoretical frameworks that includes, you learn different types of intervention. So I took a class, for example, on clinical improvisation. You're taking, let's see what else a prep course for our board certification exam, you know, you're taking an assessment course, you're taking a documentation course, you're taking, you know, all those different things. Mm -hmm. You're taking a populations course, learning about different types of populations. So a lot of, yeah, so a lot of music therapy specific to kind of, I would say a lot of it was theoretical perspectives 
in music mm -hmm. therapy. Mm -hmm. A lot of courses in that. And then you did internships or field placements to like work with music therapists before you certified? Yeah. yeah, so that's an important, kind of an important distinction because it is a huge part of the coursework. So we had to do four kind of field placements throughout our coursework. So about 40 hours per semester, you know, we'd go out to a site every week for a couple hours and then about to 40 hours per semester. And then at the end of your coursework, you have to do a six month full-time internship. So it amounts to being like, I think like a thousand hours and mm -hmm. um, of clinical work before you can receive your certification or sit for the board exam. Where did you do your six month? Like what population did you do? Pediatrics. Oh, okay, cool. Yes, so that's kind of <laughs> what, what sparked my oh. interest. That's really cool. So now are yeah. you able to do, I know with rec therapists, we have to wait like so many years or so many hours until we can like have an intern with us. Do you have to, are you able to have interns now or do you have to wait? We, so we, I technically I would qualify. It's a little bit tricky just when you're in a big health system to be able to kind of coordinate that. There's just a lot of rules and policies and things like that. So in the process of applying for had to have practicum students, so a little bit less time commitment on our end and for the students end so that we kind of thought that would be a good place to start. So oftentimes it's a, a pretty extensive process to become an approved internship site. There's kind of a really long application process. And obviously with the, if you're at a specific facility, there's, you know, all those kinds of things. So definitely lots of hurdles to jump to to be able to do that, but worth it because it's important to have students and to have them have solid places to learn. So we're working on it. <laughs> That's good. So where do you work right now? Just in case someone's I'm, listening and wants to be your yeah. intern someday. <laughs> <laughs> I work at the Mayo Clinic Children's Center. Okay, cool. Yes. <laughs> Everyone in listening. Concert. Sounds like yes. you'd be an amazing person to work with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Carolyn lives in my hometown, which is kind of like a weird melding mm -hmm. world because I knew you in college and now yeah. I don't live in my hometown but you live in my hometown and it's just like, <laughs> confusing yeah. very cool very, very cool yeah <laughs> so obviously music therapy is its own field its own thing but if a recreational therapist was looking to add music into the modalities that they're doing are there any resources that you can recommend or even like other activity professionals or other types of mm -hmm. therapies like are there any places that we could go to find good resources to bring music into our facilities or our practices yes so i will say a lot there's a lot of music therapy companies and private practices that run blogs along with their company. So that could be they're sharing, you know, a session plan about a certain theme, or they're just sharing about a specific type of intervention. Again, we, we, you know, there's this balance of wanting others to be able to use music in their work therapeutically, but then also mm -hmm. kind of, you know, just having those boundaries, but we totally on, we, totally support obviously we don't have ownership of music so we yeah. you know, we know it's awesome so we want everyone to be using music if they can especially for vulnerable populations so I would I mean I would even suggest for example if you're maybe doing a specific whether it be a goal like okay I really want to do a group maybe that's really focusing on reminiscent conversation mm -hmm. or maybe I want to do a group about winter or xyz you can you can google again I'm sorry, I'm just sending you to Google, but you could say music therapy sessions, mm -hmm. you know, insert whatever you're looking for. 
because there are some really good bloggers out there that are willing to share their ideas and you can totally get some some good songs, song lists, things like that, that you can use that maybe are specific to what you're looking for. And then maybe even questions you can ask or talking points or things like that. Types of instruments that you could buy or look for for your programs. Yeah, I would I would really seek out blogs online. There are some really good ones out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is really helpful when professionals give you resources. I love the yes. blogs and like just like different websites where you can go and find ideas for modalities. It's very, very helpful because sometimes it's like hard to, you know, even though we have these degrees, it's hard to come up with everything. Totally. I was just going to say even too, searching for a lot of times there are even free continuing ed music therapy courses that are mm-hmm. on specific things. So I, I mean, you know, if that's something that you have capacity for, you know, I know time is of the essence, but if, if that's ever something you're interested in learning more about, there's so many different continuing ed types of things online, learn about specific musical things. I would definitely be interested in that. Is there like a specific like website or something that you would recommend people go to for that kind of CEU? Yeah, I would look on the CBMT website for resources there, just about continuing education. But even to, if you have a population that you work with, even just writing. So our, our, our certification, I know you call them CEUs. Is that what you call them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, for, yeah. so for us, they're called CMTEs, continuing okay. therapy education. So CMTE, again, you could type in kind of whatever, but if you're looking for maybe a comprehensive list of resources, our yeah. certification board website would be good I'll go ahead and google some so then when we make the episode for this we'll like have some links in the show notes if I can find some good like programs and I, people I'm happy to send a few your way too I can do yeah, that. that'd be great yeah. yes please yes, so sweet. Sure. <laughs> I, know. Yeah, I think it's really awesome good love yeah have you guys heard of that the website teachers helping teachers where teachers will sell like lesson plans and things like that. I feel like we need that for therapists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, this, I have this really great therapy plan. Just having that resource of, Oh, like try using this. Yes. Like a one-stop shop kind of thing. Always very yeah. helpful. Yes. Okay. This is probably one of my favorite questions that we get to ask people. Tell us about a moment that you witnessed that you were part of that reminds you why you went into music therapy. Mm, That's a good one. I think about a patient that I had that I was working with that in the hospital, a teen that previously Mm. healthy and ended up with meningitis and was dealing with enough seizures that she had to be sedated pretty heavily. And so with that new kind of state that she was in, her, her mom was really having a tough time with that. And as well as just connecting with her in this new type of way. And so I was able to kind of go in and spend time with them and really get to know the patient, even though for the most part, she was pretty heavily sedated for the first couple months that I was working with them and just kind of chatting with mom and learning about what, what music did they listen to together? What kinds of music they enjoy and playing some of those songs for them to just kind of connect them in a new way. So not only was it just kind of, you know, it felt, it felt good to be supporting the patient in this really vulnerable time, but then also just to be able to give her mom this new 
support type of support for this kind of change. And, and then later she ended up kind of weaning off a lot of the sedation, doing a lot better. And she made a comment that was like, was it you playing? And I was like, yes, it was me <laughs> playing. So it's just kind of goes to show that there's, there's a lot we don't know about medical conditions. And a lot of times patients are deemed off as just being, you know, they're in a coma or, you know, whatever, which is true, right? They're, they're under a lot of medication. And so we can kind of presume that there's not as much brain activity happening and sensation and that kind of thing. But that was just kind of a moment of, you know, even when I'm, you know, spending time with these patients that are so sedated or that are in a completely altered state, that it still makes a difference. And so that was a really cool moment to kind of remind myself of that because I think mm-hmm. I've been there before of just like okay this is pointless like everyone just thinks I'm playing at this person who's you yeah, know yeah. that kind of thing so being able to kind of re- be reminded of that was really amazing and to know that the the brain and the body is, is just capable of that awareness even when so impacted is really amazing so that was a really kind of eye-opening experience and kind of reminded me why it was so important that I was there. That's awesome. I love that. I feel like I have chills just like thinking about that. I know. I was, I I mean, both mom and I were like jaw on the ground. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I also love in that story how the music therapy, yeah, benefited your client that you were working with, but you also worked with very closely with the mom and kind of helping facilitate bonding between the daughter and the mom, even though she's out of it. That's really cool to have those probably for her to have those memories of, yeah, we were going through this really tough time, but we're spending time together with music. So yes, for sure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. It's a very cool aspect of it too. We're kind of incorporating the whole family system Mm -hmm. to the work. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Like Carol said, it gives me chills and, and it's beautiful how much was happening, like how much healing for each of you. And then just like the, the neuro connections that were happening when it didn't seem like anything was happening. It's really, I think speaks to the power of what you do and of music in general and yeah, human connection, all the things. Beautiful. Sure. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I feel like at some point we should do like some sort of more in-depth look at all the research on music and like music therapy. Cause I know like we didn't really talk about any of the research too much in depth in this podcast here, but I'm sure that there's quite a bit out there just like that brain body connection between music and us. Yes, absolutely. There's actually even a whole training and type of music therapy that you can kind of become certified in that I'm hoping to pursue next year. It's called neurologic music therapy. And it's, um, it's a very structured program or type of specific interventions that have been researched that can improve speech or a lot of different like rehabilitative specific types of goals. So that's really cool because that's a very evidence-based connection of music and the body and rehab, like using music to, to can literally change your brain chemistry and the way your body's working and just kind of rehabbing things that have been lost from stroke, Parkinson's, you know, all sorts of different things. So mm-hmm. There are some really cool connotations with what that was that what that could look like and who you could work with in that in that setting. That's really incredible. Yes. Yeah. It's it's really great. I love what I do and I feel 
very lucky to make a living doing something that means so much to me. So obviously has its moments and it's a very challenging profession that many times, you know, even though sometimes we're doing really fun things and sometimes we're even doing bereavement types of situations at the hospital too. So very different experiences, but um, all the less just using music to help others is just, I feel very lucky to be able to do that. So yeah. yeah, that's very cool. We're so glad that we could have you on our podcast just to learn. I feel like I learned so much about music therapy. I thought I knew a good amount about it, but you've taught us so much more just in this little hour of asking you questions. So typically at the end of our podcast, when we interview people, we like to ask if there's like any organizations that you are particularly fond of from your profession for music therapy that you think are worthwhile noting that we haven't talked about. Can you think of any? <laughs> yeah, I I would say that if you are interested in learning more about music therapy, I would seek out that national body organization too. There's lots of different, like I said, private music therapy companies that are, are super interesting too. Yeah. I mean, if there's ever any type of specific intervention you're, you're interested in learning more about, again, kind of just searching for that, but nothing, nothing really comes to mind specifically just because there is so much out there. Um, Thank you so much for sharing this with us and yeah, teaching us about all of these things. I'm really excited to, to dive deeper into music therapy. I, I don't think that this is some, this is something that I've I've known people that have said that, you know, someday I would like to do it, but I haven't really known anyone that has done it. So thank you so much for sharing with us. And like Carol said, kind of opening our eyes to what, what music is doing for the the patients that you're working with and what you're able to do with all of these skills. I can't believe how much you had to learn. It's just a lot, (laughs) all the music side and the therapy side. And it seems like it's just coming together really beautifully in the practice that you're doing. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you for giving me this opportunity to do some, you know, to share and to educate others, because I think, like you said, there's so much happening and it's, I think people sometimes are surprised to know some of the ins and outs of what therapy, what it takes to be a music therapist, what it involves, what it looks like in in practice. So I appreciate this opportunity to share. Oh yeah. You're so welcome. It was great having you. So thanks everybody for listening. We will have a whole show notes about all this stuff we talked about. I'll put links for all the different programs and information. So for those of you listening, if you want to learn more about music therapy, you can check out the show notes and follow up with those links and other resources. Yeah, we just want to thank Carolyn again for joining us for this interview and we will see you all next time. All right. Well, as always, thank you again for joining us for this episode of Real Talk Recreation Therapy. We hope that you found lots of helpful information for your practice as recreational therapists. If you're looking for some of the resources that we mentioned, you can go to our website, www.realtalkrecreationtherapy.com. We hope you'll join us for the next episode. Bye!